0: Today, I want to talk about the power of relationships, especially in our walk with Jesus, how he uses relationships with other believers to, uh, to impact us. And, and, and additionally, how he uses us in relationship with those who are lost, those who don't know Christ, to impact them. I want you to think about something. God created us for community. God created us to live in relationships, not in isolation. Go back to the very beginning of the Bible when he created Adam. What did he say? It's not good for what? Man to be alone. So he created a helpmate. He created Eve. From the very beginning, God said that it's not really good for a person to live in isolation. We need community. We need fellowship. We need relationships. And even when you think about God's people, what did he do? He created a nation, named it Israel, the people of God. He put them in community with one another. And with Christ, what did he do? Jesus said, I will build my church. And we've been talking for the last several Sundays about liking the church. Jesus loves the church. It's not asking too much for us to like the church, that when we are saved we become part of the body of Christ, the family of Christ. We're brothers and sisters with one another, and we're to like the church and therefore do things to help it, to strengthen it, and you need the church. You need to be plugged into it. God has always said people function best in community, not in isolation. That's just, do you see the pattern Adam needed Eve. God needed a people. He created Israel. God needed a people. He created the church. That's God's pattern in history. That's God's pattern in the universe. That's very clearly God's teaching in Scripture. And it's also true that spiritually, listen, spiritually you need other believers. Now you may not think you do, but you do. You need Other believers, too many people, too many people who call themselves spiritual, call themselves Christians, call themselves followers of Christ, attempt to go it alone when it comes to their spirituality, their walk with Christ. They think, hey, I can do it. And part of that is our DNA as Americans because we're an independent people. We're used to picking ourselves up by the bootstrap. We can do it. I can do it. I can do it. And there's value in that. But in your spiritual life, if you're trying to go it alone, As a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're trying to do it without being intimately involved in community with other believers, you are fooling yourself. Because you may be doing okay, but you're not doing great. Even if you think you're doing well, if you're not intimately involved in community with other believers, you are not doing as well as you could As well as God wants you to because your maximum spiritual growth, your maximum spiritual health means you need other believers in your life. God expects you to be in those kind of relationships. And so today, I want to examine that. I mean, you saw in that very brief story from Tracy and Michelle the impact of people on them. People impact us for good. For bad, the truth is you may try to live in isolation, but you won't succeed. Other people are going to affect you. And so you need to make certain you're going about it the right way. And one of the reasons I want to talk about this is that going forward as a family of faith, it is absolutely critical that we elevate the power of relationships, that we understand our need to be in community with other believers, whether that's in a in a Sunday school class that functions the proper way, a ministry group, a small group, whatever it is, you don't live in isolation as a follower of Christ if you really want to mature we're going to elevate that. It's really important to our future as a family and to our development as disciples. And so as I was thinking about the message today, I I thought, all right, in the Gospels, in the New Testament, what's a good story, what what group, what person is a good example to illustrate the power of relationships? And I started thinking about how Jesus did it. And I talked about this some, some months ago, but you'll remember that Jesus had his disciples, the 12, and what was that? That's basically a small group, if you will. And he invested in them, and they grew, they developed, they they matured. They weren't perfect. They were not even perfect once Jesus went back to heaven, right? But that was his group. And one member in that group in particular I want to focus on today was Peter. Because when Jesus said, I'm going to develop a leadership team, I'm going to develop a group of followers to carry on my work, after I go back to the Father, he formed a group of 12. And he invested in them. And he invested in three of the twelve, even more, Peter, James, and John. And Peter stands out in the, in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts and in the New Testament as one of the key leaders of the early church. And I think in his life, there's a great example of the power of relationships in our following Jesus. So let's look at Peter's story. And in John chapter, John chapter two, his story begins, or John chapter one, rather. And John the Baptist, has just baptized Jesus. And the following day, he's standing there with two of his disciples, two of John the Baptist's disciples. One of them is a man named Andrew. And suddenly Jesus walks by. And John the Baptist points to Jesus and says to those disciples standing beside him, Behold the Lamb of God. The other Gospels tell us, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Andrew, one of John the Baptist's disciples, goes and spends the day with Jesus. And immediately afterward, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Peter. And tells Peter, we have found the Messiah, we've found the Christ, and he brings Peter to Jesus. That's the beginning of Peter's time with Christ, of his relationship, of his following Jesus Christ. He was invited by his brother and introduced to Jesus. Now, think about that for a moment. The most effective outreach tool any church has is the personal invite. More important than events, publicity, listen, we can waste a lot of money advertising in the newspaper and have nowhere near the impact of you talking to another individual. There is power in personal invitations that cannot be found in any other form of advertising because that's simply what Andrew did to his brother. Hey, we found him. I found him. I want you to meet him. Come with me. And he brought Peter and he introduced him to Jesus. Many of you know that the first time I ever attended church, I was a sophomore in high school. I've been invited a few times by people, but I never accepted their invitation. On a Monday afternoon in geometry class, Evelyn looked at me and said, come to church tonight. They were having revival Monday afternoon, Monday night service. Come to church tonight and you can sit with me. I I went to church so I could sit with a pretty girl. Listen, you need to understand that most people who don't know Jesus do not come to church the first few times for totally pure motives. They're not coming because, oh, I need Jesus. They come for a lot of different reasons. That's okay. God doesn't say to lost people you have to get your heart right before you can come to church. Why do you and I sometimes say that to them? I went to church the very first time in my life as a high school student because I wanted to sit beside Evelyn Crawford. No other reason. Now, I hadn't got my driver's license yet. It was in the fall of my sophomore year. I hadn't turned 16. So I rode a church bus that happened to be riding by my home. We got there late. Church service had already started. I came in the lobby. No one there to greet me. Y'all have heard this story before. I looked in, didn't see anybody that I knew. And I turned and I started to walk out. And I was, and, and now remember, I'm pagan. I'm lost. I'm in my sin. And as I'm walking out of the lobby, I'm opening the door to the parking lot. In my mind, I'm cussing. Is that too honest for some of you? That's real life. I'm a lost teenager and I'm walking out the door cussing in my mind because nobody's there to help me. And in my mind, I'm saying they'll never get me back in this blankety-blank place ever again. That's exactly what I was saying to myself. Sometimes God works in spite of his people. And as I opened the door to leave, Evelyn was walking up the steps coming in. And she took me by the hand and she walked me down the aisle and we sat on the second row right here. That's why I love front row Baptists, okay? Okay. Some of you need to get right with God and get down here. It changed your life, <laughs> and my life's never been the same. The same sense, God got hold of me, changed me, saved me. And, and I look forward to hearing about your conversations today. As as, as you wear these shirts, we'll mention that he had several people this week. Asked him about it. We were, we were in Anderson at a, at a conference at New Spring Church and Thursday and Friday. And Thursday, Will wore his green shirt. And because there were breakout sessions, we were going to as staff, different places. We all would gather back during the, the main worship times and sit in the same, similar, same spot in the balcony so we could just reconnect during the worship time. And, and so Will wore this shirt the first day. The second day, Friday, he didn't wear it. But the greeter who was stationed at that entrance to that part of the balcony both days remembered him from that shirt she asked him the second day why aren't you wearing your shirt today i tell you people are going to ask you about this if you don't hide if you get out at lunch you go to the park you go to the restaurants you, you people will ask you and invite them to church now i'm thankful evelyn invited me to church god used her but you can also do it better than evelyn because we never agreed what time we would meet and where we would meet and so when you invite someone to church, don't just say to them, well, I hope you come sometime. You know, one of our favorite sayings when we're talking to people because we're just a little bit intimidated and we don't want to really be out there and be bold is we say, well, you know, we'd love to have you at our church sometime. I mean, have you ever gone to a, to a car lot to just to, to look and a salesman said to you, you at the get-go, I hope you come back sometime in the next year or two and, and buy one. I mean, they're, they're trying to nail it down, right? So when someone asks you about it and you tell them about your church, hey, I'd love, for you. come to church with me next Sunday. Be specific. Hey, I'll meet you at this time at this place. I'll meet you out there on the patio where those picnic tables and umbrellas are. I'll meet you at this place in the parking lot or hey, I'll come by your house and pick you up. Be specific. Don't, don't extend general invitations. Be specific. The power of a personal invite. Personal relationships begin that way. But I'm going to jump ahead about three years in Peter's life, and that part of his story is found in the 26th chapter of Matthew. For those of you who want to open your Bible there, Matthew chapter 26, it's the evening before Jesus is crucified. Jesus is gathered in a room with his disciples. They've observed the Jewish Passover. He's implemented the Lord's Supper, does some teaching, they get up and begin singing a song as they leave the room, making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus would be would pray and then a little later be, be arrested. And while they're walking to the garden, he's talking to his disciples and, and um, in verse 31 he says to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. Jesus said, because of me, of who I am and what's going to happen, you're going to to fall away this very night. And Peter, who's been with Jesus now for over three years, in verse 33 says to him, But Lord, even though all may fall away because of you, I will what? Never fall away. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us, he added, I'm ready to go to prison For you, Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, I'm telling you the truth. This very night, before you hear the rooster crow, you will deny me three times. And then Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Now, do you think Peter was genuine? I do. I think he was very genuine. I, I think he had the best of intentions. I think Peter wanted to do well. And, and he didn't want to believe that what Jesus was saying about him was true. He wanted to do right. He was very, very genuine. And so they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is praying, and this is the part where, you know, he's in turmoil, and he asks them to pray for him. And at the end of that time of praying a mob shows up to arrest Jesus. And Judas walks up to Jesus, and that story is continued in that chapter. Judas walks up to him and kisses him on the cheek. That was the sign to the soldiers. And so they, they, the soldiers begin moving forward to tie Jesus' hands behind his back to take him away as a prisoner. And when they do that, what does Peter do? Peter reaches in and brings out a sword. Now here it just says one of his. The other gospels tell us it was Peter. Peter draws a sword in order to defend Jesus. He's willing to fight for Jesus. He's willing to put his life at risk defending Jesus. And he swings that sword cutting off a man's ear. Jesus tells Peter to stop and he heals the man's ear. Now, again, I think Peter had good intentions, don't you? I mean, Peter was an impulsive guy, but Peter was a, a genuine guy. I mean, the other disciples are just standing there in fear of doing nothing. Peter's at least trying to do something. I mean, he, he's trying. He's, he, he's just following his instincts. He wants to do something to help Jesus right now. But Jesus tells him, don't. They arrest Jesus and take him away for trial. And what do the disciples do now? The Bible tells us that they all fled. They ran. Each one of them, they they ran away. Each man for himself. Can can you just see that? Here's this mob arresting Jesus, and it's him and the twelve, and they're greatly outnumbered, and Jesus has let them arrest him and told them not to defend him. They run. Every man for himself. But what about Peter? What does Peter do now? What does Peter do? Well, look on down in chapter 26. At the end of verse 56, they all fled. They left Jesus. But look at verse 57. They seized Jesus and led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were gathered together. But Peter, in verse 58, was following him at a distance. The others just ran away. Peter's following from a distance. And at the end of verse 58, he goes into the courtyard where the crowd is gathering. He's he's, he's in that place where he can see Jesus and hear Jesus during the trial. You see, I see Peter's heart. He wanted... He wanted to stay connected to Jesus. I really believe most people who go to church on some level want to stay connected to Jesus. I believe most people who show up are genuine. Maybe have a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, but they're very genuine. They're very sincere. There's something that just keeps pulling them back. They just keep coming, right? Right? But I believe a lot of people who go to church are also like Peter in that they have the wrong strategy for how to be a strong spiritual follower of Jesus. See, you can't follow Jesus from a distance. It doesn't work. If you try to follow him to where you just kind of keep him in eyesight, in earshot, it doesn't work. Because we know in just a few moments Peter's going to deny Jesus, right? You know, following Jesus, but from a distance, doesn't keep you spiritually strong and healthy. You got to be all in. You got to be like that one of those first songs we sang about I'm yours and, and, and I, I lay me down, fully surrendered. You got to be all in. You can't follow from a distance where you can kind of see Him, kind of hear Him. That doesn't work spiritually. But there's another part of His strategy that was a problem. You see, when, 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 when Peter said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to prison for you. Where was he? When he was bold, when he, when he had courage, when he had spiritual courage, where was he? Not only close to Jesus, but he was within the group of the other disciples. Right? He was still with the twelve. Or by that point, 11, because Judas was already gone. But he's with with the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus. When, When Peter pulled out that sword to defend Jesus, cutting off a man's ear, where was he? Was there a mob there? Yes, but guess what? He wasn't in isolation. He was in front of that mob with the other followers of Jesus. Peter was always his boldest when he was with others who were also followers of Jesus. In a few weeks we'll look at the story of Peter getting out of the boat, walking on the water. Same thing, he's with the other disciples. Peter was his strongest, he was his boldness, boldest, he was his most courageous, he, he was genuine, but, but he found strength when he was with other followers. Now all of a sudden, there's no followers of Jesus around. He's in isolation, and he's warming himself, the other Gospels tell us, by a fire in the courtyard with a group of people who are hostile to Jesus, and suddenly his environment is different. Now, does that mean he had to deny Jesus? No. Does that mean he could not have been strong? No. But here's the reality. You and I will always be stronger spiritually when we are consistently with other people who love Jesus. And when we're not with them on a consistent basis, we become weaker. It's like the old illustration of the piece of coal or the piece of wood or whatever that you remove from your fireplace with tongues and set on the corner of the hearth. It may be on fire when you first put it there, but by itself the blaze burns out. But you can take that same cold piece of wood, that same cold piece of coal and put it back in the fire where others are burning and what happens? It will flame up again. That's me. That's you. That's us as followers of Jesus typically. In isolation, we tend to grow cold. We tend to become weak. But in community with other believers, faith encourages faith. Fire in one promotes fire in the other. Faithfulness here promotes faithfulness there. Isolation promotes death. Isolation promotes disobedience. Isolation promotes spiritual weakness. And the experiences of Peter's life are a good illustration of that. You see, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that all we need In order to grow spiritually strong, is to be part of good Bible study. Now let that sink in. I'm a Bible teacher, Bible preacher. I love God's Word, it's inerrant, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it's infallible. We, we elevate God's Word, we teach God's Word, but some believers, some followers think that all they really need to maximize their spiritual growth is I will have my own daily quiet time, I'll do my own Bible study, and I don't need, if if I've got that, if I have that, I'll be okay. But see, here's the problem. You can be alone and doing deep Bible study and still be a messed up, warped personality when it comes to relationships with other people. And faithfulness to Jesus Christ is not just about how much Bible information is in your head. It's about your ability to learn how to be in community with other people the right way, exhibiting the character of Jesus Christ. Because following Christ means I'm increasingly becoming more like Him. And Jesus said some people, too many people who are religious, have forgotten the most important thing, and it's compassion. And the only way to have compassion is in community with other people. See us in the give and take and the hardships of relationships that God grows us. We can be so messed up personally and have lots of Bible information. Bible study is important. You need a daily quiet time with Jesus. You need to be in Bible study groups. You need to study the Bible on your own. But I am saying to you on the authority of God's Word, equally true is you need the people of God in your life if you're going to maximize your growth as a Christian. And being in relationship with other believers is a whole lot more than sitting in this room listening to me preach because you're part of a crowd, but there's no sharing, there's no building of relationships. If you're in a Sunday school class listening to a teacher lecture, that's good, you need that. But that's not the same as being in community and being in relationships with other believers where there's no sharing, there's no talking there's no praying together. There's no one encouraging each other. There's no listening to each other. There's no talking with each other about our walk with Jesus Christ. I want you to think about something. I said this is the inspired Word of God. What God says today is exactly what God will say a thousand years from now. It's not going to change. Okay? Not one, not one word of it is going to change it's His eternal truth. But don't you think about something? Those first believers of Jesus, those first followers of Jesus, did not have this. Have you ever thought about that? Our New Testament was written by eight men. Eight men. Starting about 10 years after Jesus through 30 years after Jesus, except for the book of Revelation, written 60 years after Jesus. Those letters, those parts of our New Testament that we have in our Bible were not put together in one collection for a century after Jesus. So let me ask you something. Those first followers of Jesus that turned this world upside down who did not have a copy of God's Word in their language in their home, how did they do it? If they didn't have this, what did they have? Each other. Each other. And even once the Bible was collected into one book, do you know that God's people, except for a very small number of educated clerics, did not have a copy of their their own copy of God's Word for 1,500 years after Jesus When did Gutenberg invent the printing press? 15th century in the 1400s. 15th century. That means until then, no books were mass produced. The only copies of God's Word were handwritten manuscripts. And, teenagers, I'm going to go way over this morning, so bear down, buckle in. You get the picture? In the 14 and 1500s, the Bible started being translated from Greek and Latin into the languages of the ordinary people. And then in the 15 and 1600s, it started being mass-produced so that people started having their own copies. That's part of what led to the Protestant Reformation. But let me ask you, how did God's people survive for 1500 years without each of them having this for their own quiet time and personal Bible study? Now, we need this. If anybody leaves here and says Steve says Hawk is preaching against Bible study, preaching against the Word of God, you're a liar because I'm not. But here's what I am saying, folks. You need the Word of God, but you also need the people of God. And in our modern culture, we have gotten to the point that we don't think we need each other. We don't need the church. We don't need the people of God. And that is contrary to history, contrary to evidence, and contrary to what this very Word of God says in the first place. And if I can get real specific, that means you need more than just sitting in this worship service. If I can dig a little deeper, that means you need more than just sitting in a large Sunday school class where a teacher lectures and there's no dialogue happening anywhere in your life with other Christians. You need to be in an environment where you can say like Michelle was talking about with those women Here's the life issues I'm struggling with. What's what can what, what word does God have for me? What can you share with me? How can you help me? And how can I help you? What does that happen in your life? Do you do you expose yourself to that? And it's not just about what others are doing for you, it's what you are doing for them also. You see, sometimes in our American culture, we treat church like, you know, a a, a business and and what I get out of it, like I talked about a few days, a few weeks ago. And and, and boy, and I hope you get something out of church and I hope you get something out of the groups you're a part of. But brothers and sisters, it's not just about you. It is also about what you're doing for those who are there. And without even meaning to, I don't think we mean to, we're very genuine, but sometimes we fall into the trap of making it too much about me and what I want. What I get out of it. And not realizing that when you are in community with other believers and you are serving them and you are helping them and you are encouraging them and you are praying with them and for them, you end up also being blessed. But in isolation, you miss all that. <clears throat> well, let me move on. Well, you know, some people avoid being in community with other believers for a lot of different reasons. But one of the big reasons is life is messy. And people are messy. And relationships are messy. And you're part of a really good group of believers and I promise you your life's going to have a moment somewhere along the journey that's hard. Somewhere along that way somebody in that group is going to say something that bothers you, that offends you. Somebody in that group is going to let you down. Somebody in that group is going to offend you. And that's the moment when you've got to decide are you going to tuck tail and run or are you going to be a follower of Jesus that works through that and learns how to love them? Because that's when God's going to grow you. That's when God's going to grow you. And you can't, listen, God can't grow you the way he needs to if you're always running and putting yourself in isolation from other believers. Well, let me wrap this up. What, did, what, what happened to Peter here? He denies Jesus. It's later on in chapter 26, we didn't have time to read all those verses, but you know the story. He denies Jesus three times, and the third time he even cusses and says, I mean, out loud, cusses and says, I don't, I don't know him. What happened to Peter? Hmm? We know he, the, the, at the end of chapter 26 it says he ran out of that place weeping bitterly. The next time we meet Peter after he denied Jesus? The next time. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 24. Do you, do you know where Peter is? The next time. And, and by the way, you know, you have to read all four Gospels, put the different pieces of the story together to get the whole story. Where was Peter the next time the Gospels mention him after he cussed and denied Jesus? After he fell flat on his face? Where was he? Do you know? He was with the other disciples. Now think about that a minute. He was with the other disciples because the next time He's mentioned chronologically is found in Luke 24 where the women go to the tomb early that Sabbath morning find it empty because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus tells them, the angels tell them, go tell the disciples what has happened. And in verse 9 the women returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven. You know who was missing from the group? It wasn't Peter. It was Judas who would already hanged himself. The eleven includes Peter. Peter was with The disciples, he was with the other ten when the women show up to say Jesus has been raised from the dead. And then in verse 12, Peter leaves that place where they had gathered and runs to the tomb to see it empty for himself. Now, brothers and sisters, when Peter was at that lowest moment in his spiritual walk with Jesus Christ, he didn't hide. He didn't place himself in isolation. When he was at his worst moment as a follower of Christ, he poured himself into that place where the other disciples were. There's a lot you and I can learn from that. And when he did that, how did the other disciples respond? He's with them, so they must have welcomed him, right? Life is messy. And sometimes because it's messy, when we mess up, when we mess up, when we mess up, when I mess up, when you mess up, we have the tendency to think to ourselves, I'm not worthy, I'm not fit, I'm too embarrassed, I can't go back, I'm just going to hide, I'm going to isolate myself. And that is always a mistake. It's the worst thing you can do. There's also the tendency in too many churches when a devout follower of Jesus falls flat on their face like Peter did. Can you believe that? Can you, you, know what he did? Can you believe that? And, and, and we don't want to welcome them. God, God, he, listen, brothers and sisters, listen. God heals people's pain in community, not in isolation. God raises people up who've fallen flat on their face with the help of other believers, not in isolation. And that means when you're struggling, run to God's people. And it means when somebody else is messed up, you help them get up. You don't cast them out. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed it. And so I hope you'll have spiritual growth through Bible study and quiet time and prayer and worship and so on. But I also pray you get plugged into community, into relationships with other believers. So let, let me ask you, what's your, what's your tendency when you're struggling spiritually? What's, what's your tendency when people in your group mess up? What what is your level of intimate involvement with other believers? Of communicating, of sharing about what's going on in life and hearing what's going on in their life. Who do you do that? do Do you have a group of believers with whom you do that on a regular basis? So that you can encourage each other and pray for each other and hold each other accountable in a biblical way, in the right way. Not in a fleshly way. Where, where's, your, where's your community? Do, do you offer that? Do you help people with that, or or are you one who pushes people out? When, when you do you do you invest in people? Do you let people help you, or do you try to do it in isolation? And this coming church here, what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm saying to you very clearly. Don't just come and sit in this worship. I'm glad you're here today. I hope you keep coming. I love for you to come to worship. But brothers and sisters, to maximize your spiritual growth, you need to get plugged into a Sunday school class. You need to get plugged into a small group. You need to get plugged into a ministry and serve. You need to find a place where you belong and you talk and you share and people share with you and you listen. You care for people and they care for you. You help people and they help you. You need to be in community with other believers. And let me just talk to our Sunday school leaders for a moment, if I may. You need to do everything you can in your Sunday school class to create that kind of environment as the leader of your Sunday school class you're responsible for creating that environment in your Sunday school class I'm not I'm not saying this doesn't matter nobody believes this matters more than me but without apology I am saying relationships also matter and we are to foster them you are to help that happen where you lead and serve it's not just about head knowledge of the Bible. It's about so much more. It's about so much more. And so we got a lot of things going on next year I could talk about, but I just wanted to, I felt led a God, we're going to talk about this one thing, to challenge those of you who are not in community to get plugged into community for your spiritual growth and for those of you who maybe aren't helping groups function that way to realize they need to function that way and do what you can to help them function that way and to love people. Put your arms around those who get knocked down or trip or whatever.